You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Raj, your host, and this is episode 223. I have Chris Wexler with me today, and I'm really inspired by the work that he's doing. It's so important. Uh, he is the founder, one of the founders, and CEO of Crunam the best-in-class image and video classifier of child sexual abuse materials. Crunam was the vessel that brought his professional expertise together with the long history of advocacy in the anti-human trafficking space. You can find more, uh, you know, you're going to hear some great information from him, but we'll also have the link on the show notes for today, and it's crunam.co. But welcome, Chris. I'm so excited to be here, Kirsten. Uh, this it's a real honor to be able to talk to you and your audience. It's an exciting thing. Yeah. So let's get the word out about this important impact that you're making. So tell me more specifically, what is the impact you are working to make in the world? And also, you know, you shared a little bit about the name of your company. So let's dive into that as well. Yeah. Uh, we are a company that is focused on eliminating the distribution um, and proliferation of child sexual abuse material, CSAM. I think parochially that has been referred to as uh, child porn, but porn uh, pornography implies consent. And uh, when there's a child involved, that's never possible. And so we refer to it as CSAM. Uh, and so we, we're really focused fully on that. We have a technology, we have uh, data governance experts. We have uh, experts to help people with content moderation, uh, really all focused on what is a growing problem on sites we all use every day. Last year alone, uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children had over 70 nearly 70 million reports of CSAM from platforms like Facebook and Twitter and you know, fill in the blank, everything we use every day. And uh, unfortunately, the way that that is currently being mitigated on most of these platforms is there, there's a uh, there's a decent but not um, holistic piece of software they use, but most of it is being literally viewed by uh, humans. So you, you see it when you're on the platform and you flag it, then it goes to a human moderator, then it goes to their manager, uh, it actually uh, kind of compounds that damage. And what you see is the people doing content moderation are actually typically only in their job about six, six to nine months, and they're ending up with PTSD. It's just a brutal, brutal uh, way to make a living. And so we have a piece of technology that we've developed. Um, uh, we originally developed for uh, British law enforcement for their home office, which if for those in the U.S. is kind of like the uh, FBI, CIA, and local police all wrapped into one, Homeland Security, uh, where they had the foresight to start kind of collecting all of the uh, all of the confiscated materials and 
our uh, CTO, Scott Page, one of our founders, was, uh, and Ben Gantz, another one of our founders, realized back as, uh, in 2015, 2016, that technology could do a better job and it, it just would have less of a negative impact on the world if we could train AI and computer vision to identify this materials. And so they set about to do that. And uh, we now have something that's about uh, that's uh, on, on estimate about 10 times more effective than the current software that can speed investigations, can keep content off of um, everyday sites, and really just um, stop the re-abuse of children that have been have already gone through the worst trauma in their life. And so that that's really the focus of what we're trying to do is really break the cycle early. Uh, we named our company after this amazing woman, Krunam, um, out of Thailand. She is a uh, child safety warrior there. She was a street artist up in uh, Chiang Mai and doing very well. Um, uh, but uh, she did a project as artists do and like, I'm going to do something. And so she did a, a project teaching the street kids in Chiang Mai to paint and said, just paint your life. And she was absolutely shocked by what they she saw them paint. It was their everyday life. And she didn't first time realized that some of the karaoke bars in Chiang Mai were actually fronts for child prostitution. And so unlike 99.9% .9 of the world, including myself, she just marched into the, uh, the brothels and pulled the kids out and just pulled more and more out. She finally had 20 kids in her tiny little apartment. And that's when the traffickers came to her and said, if you pull one more kid out of our, uh, out of our brothels, we're going to kill you. So she got out of town and uh, had 20 to 30 kids up in a field in Northern Thailand. She has since created a compound with the help of one of our, the, our nonprofit partner, not for sale, um, where she saved thousands of kids over the last 15 years. And uh, in fact, one of the first kids she pulled out of that horrible situation has been the first non-state child in Thailand to graduate from university. She has constantly evolved her techniques and her approach uh, to save more kids. And so we're really taking the spirit that she has of conviction and evolution of using the, the best approach possible to save more kids and uh, taking what she does in real life and doing it uh, uh, in the in the virtual world uh, through Krunam. So we couldn't think of a better way to kind of focus our attention every day uh, when we're uh, doing the work we're doing. Well, thank you for that great explanation. And so it sounds like, are you looking to connect with kind of larger organizations or even, you know, ideally it sounds like Facebook or Twitter or other social media platforms to have them begin utilizing your software? Yeah, everything from, uh, you know, like a, the kind of the random photo uh, photo app, uh, manipulation app that you might have in your phone all the way up to a Facebook or a Microsoft or a Twitter. Um, and so we talk, we, we really, any company that holds images or videos of the public. And so that's a wide range of uh, organizations around the world. Because um, unfortunately, the people who traffic in CSAM, while some definitely are out on the dark web and 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 uh and hiding there very uh, very uh in a very sophisticated manner most of this is actually happening out in the open and 
it's just being lost in the volumes and volumes of uh, of interactions that happen every day on everyday sites. And we just think not only uh, is that something that shouldn't be happening because that's how people stumble into this and stump and kind of tumble down dark rabbit holes, but also uh, you know there's no reason for these companies to be profiting off of that because there's often ads next to it. And, you know, it's their responsibility to keep their platforms clean. And they recognize that. They have entire big organizations in there, you know, with the big companies, big organizations that really work on keeping this off their platforms. For the smaller companies, they, they really need to rely on automation. And so we can scale up and scale down from... You know, like a you know a thousand person company all the way down to a two person operation that's running an app, and so it's really about keeping everybody safe on those platforms. Now, are you also collecting metadata or any information that would be helpful to law enforcement or others to track down the origination of the the material, or is it just about getting it off? Which you know, either and both are very important. <laughs> well, you know, the U.S. and forty six other countries have. Um, mandatory reporting and so we work with our partners to um, to collect the right metadata and to report that to the proper authorities because I, our, our the origination of our business was really to support law enforcement um, you know when you look back at what what we were the problem we were initially trying to solve is uh, child sexual abuse uh, investigators we're spending 80% of their time going through confiscated materials and 20% of their time doing what humans do best, which is complex investigations. And uh, we've since flipped that script where you're spending significantly, you know, 20, 30% of your time actually going through materials and spending much more of your time investigating the crimes. Uh, we were really a force multiplier for law enforcement. And so that's deep within our DNA is helping, is really pushing a lot of this content to law enforcement as quickly as possible. The current technology that's out there is called hashing. And so I don't, I'm sure people may have heard about Apple's announcement that they're gonna scan for CSAM and, um, and, other, and other companies have done it, but they're using a, a, a technology called perceptual hashing, which essentially is we've, law enforcement has already found an image and verified it and um, then put a, essentially what, uh, what is a digital fingerprint that identifies that image. The problem with that is that there's a year lag often on that before it gets into the hash set. And so that child has been in danger for a full year. Our technology is all based on essentially pattern recognition, um, body position, relative body size, um, skin, the amount of skin being seen, genitalia, that kind of thing. And so it, it can identify brand new, like created that day uh, abuse material. And so it should speed, you know, as we get applied more broadly over the, uh, around the uh, ecosystem, it's going to speed uh, uh, alerts to the law enforcement and save kids. And so on a very real, on a very real basis, it should really pull kids out of danger more quickly, which is one of the kind of driving forces behind what we want to do. Well, and less trauma for those needing to yes. look at the pictures to, you mm -hmm. know, personally. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it sounds really um, amazing. And so what is your personal motivation? Do you have any, um, you know, what motivated you to move into this space? Well, I, I was, um, it's interesting. I, I have a unique career background in that I started on Wall Street for uh, three, four years and 
then I was in ad technology and um, marketing uh, strategy for 15 years plus, almost 20 years. And the whole time I was, I was, uh, I enjoyed the work. I was intellectually stimulated, but I really, uh, I was kind of really hungry to have, make a deeper impact. And so I was volunteering uh, and helping with anti-human trafficking um, elements, partially because my brother started an anti-human trafficking organization. And, you know, once you, your eyes are open to the depth and um, scope of that problem, all of a sudden you realize, holy cow, that is an unbelievable thing that's happening in our world. It's the, the illegal profits off of human trafficking rivals that of drugs, um, of the illegal drug trade. And this, and we're not talking about, you know, moving cocaine around. We're literally talking about moving people around and 70% of them are women and children. Um, and so, you know, once your eyes are open to that kind of toxic waste of capitalism, uh, and, and preying on the weakest of society around the world, but frankly, even in the U S uh, you realize you really you know, there, something has to be done. And so when the opportunity came to kind of bring my background in business and my background in, uh, in, uh, uh, big data and AI and, and bring that into, uh, something that has a direct impact on, uh, trafficking, I was like, it was a no brainer. I had to bring my vocation, my, and my advocation together. That was a critical thing for me. And it's been, un, it's been an unbelievable, uh, unbelievably fulfilling thing for me, but also, you know, uh, I discovered, you know, sometimes that's a little hard because, uh, you know, when you're at a regular job going, oh, I'm going to take a vacation, uh, is a little easier than when you go, well, if I don't do this, um, somebody else is going to suffer. And so, uh, finding space for yourself in there is something I've had to learn over the, over, over the time doing this. Oh, I'm sure the sense of overwhelm and, uh, keep moving because, uh, yeah, must be, uh, incredibly large. Uh, and it sounds like you had such a, you know, kind of the perfect combination of experience to bring to this effort. So tell me, you know, is there a specific impact that you can think of that really fuels your own passion? You know, and I always look for those stories because, you know, whether we're entrepreneurs or, you know, starting nonprofits, working for social enterprise, uh, there's always going to be challenges and times where we feel like giving up. And uh, I really, that fuel is the passion that can, can give us the tenacity we need to keep moving. And um, I think it's so important to anchor to some very specific outcomes that we've helped to create, whether it's directly or indirectly. And so do you have a story like that, that, that really continues to fuel your passion during tough times? Well, um, I, I think if anything, you know, I, I just have to kind of thank my parents. They've always been focused on giving. And so if anything, I was wired through that to, to be just focused on others um which is it, it you know it's it's interesting because like when i was I, I was one of the top people in my industry in ad technology and and marketing technology and i'd go home for thanksgiving and my sister was you know helping run a hospital in honduras and my brother was an anti-trafficking warrior 
and I was the black sheep as the executive. Like, uh, typically it was the other way around. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, all the way down to my parents deciding to live in Minneapolis, you know, 30 years ago when they could have easily gone to the um, suburbs because they really believed in uh, helping uh, make a healthy city. And you can see that so, that obviously with the what happened with George Floyd, et cetera, that, um, that, that it's people like them that really helped the city heal. And so I really have to say that, you know, what's interesting is I probably had a harder time driving forward on my, on my quote unquote conventional career than I do here, because this just, uh, it feels like I'm finally in tune with, um, how I was brought up. And so, uh, I wish I had some kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, come to Jesus moment where it was like, oh, this is this is how this works. But unfortunately, I think I'm just kind of wired this way. And, you know, I'll take I, I, when I say unfortunately, I shouldn't say that. I just say I don't have a great story for it because I'm, I'm blessed to kind of just have this in my background. Well, every backstory is always important. <laughs> motivating. So this one isn't very exciting. Some, yeah, but, you know, there might be some parents listening who are like, "Ooh, I'm going to be more intentional about really, uh, you know, kind of sharing that with my kids as they grow yeah. up. So because yeah. that's enough, I mean. You know, there's always a, a way to motivate others through our stories. That is um, true. <laughs> so uh, beyond the the challenge of making sure you're carving out time for yourself, or maybe that is your biggest internal challenge, um, you know, what, let me rephrase, let me, let me go back to my question. We may need to edit that. <laughs> so. So you mentioned that it's difficult for you to um, take time off, you know, that self-care, which is so important that so many people struggle with. Um, would you say that's been your biggest internal challenge or is there another and how have you overcome that? Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely the biggest pull is I, I've I've never felt so guilty on, uh, when I have taken time. And so I, I think it's more just uh, reminding myself on a regular basis that the only way I can uh, make a great impact is if I'm strong um, and that's mentally and physically and so um, that has been uh, I think it's just been a mindset change around hey that means you have to t you know you, you might have to take some downtime right now to, to be better tomorrow. Um, and thinking about it holistically, I think that that was the, that was a, it was a mindset change I didn't expect I'd have to do. Um, I'm always used to being a hard worker. I've always, always used to kind of putting my nose to the grindstone, but also, you know, um, relaxing aggressively. I, I like to, you know, like, <laughs> I like and, that, and, you know, uh, chill out, but, um, you know, and, and it probably doesn't help that we're in the middle of a pandemic as we've gone through this. Like we really have established this company, that the first conversations around this company started literally um, a month or no, two weeks before the first lockdown. And so, you know, it, there's also the wrap up of that, that, you know, that's changed all of our patterns of self-care. And so um, finding the right pattern for that has been really critical. I love that you talk about, uh, how did you put that again? Aggressively? <laughs> Aggressively relaxed. Yes. <laughs> Because I find with my clients very often, I same thing. They all struggle with that. And we live in such an instant gratification, yes. multitask. It is, you know, be efficient. We just feel there's so much guilt often in that downtime. Mm -hmm. And so we do need to reframe it, I think. And uh, so I, I love the term you use. I often use <laughs> rejuvenation because, again, yes. that feels like active and intentional. Uh, another thing I share often is um, consider it a cocoon phase, yeah. you know, because sometimes... It can look like nothing's happening, but <laughs> there could be a huge metamorphosis happening under the, you know, so just consider it, 
you know, a, a, it looks like downtime, but it really isn't. It's it could be a time of reflection or just taking a nap, you know, rejuvenating. I, I, so yeah, it, it's interesting that you talk, you kind of say that because that is definitely how I find my way to to inspiration. Is I think it's sometimes really hard to turn off your uh, uh, your. A logical mind and I think that you know when when you're dealing with problems where you need to be creative you know in our case in in uh, how you approach a problem or solve a problem or frame a problem or talk about it because often what we're trying to do is actually um, convince people to kind of take the next an extra step that you know may not be what they uh, is just required by the law but required more uh, morally you know I think it's really sometimes it's it's really important. You know, we always talk about those kind of shower moments where you're in the shower and all of a sudden you go, oh, that's the idea. Um, I've learned to be very um, methodical in trying to just shut down my my thinking so my subconscious can work on problems. And so that's when, you know, kind of when I say I aggressively relax is I'm, I'm trying to find things to... Um, distract me enough where my brain can work on on other problems and you know sometimes that's just as simple as uh you know uh you know playing a game or uh going for a walk just something to distract you just enough so your brain can work on on the problem in the background and uh i think that that's uh i think too often we are constantly actively trying to think about something but our brains work on a on a deeper level and sometimes that's that's the most inspiration i get is when i'm actually doing something else i love that thought yeah because when we're it, it, i always think of like in conversation or trying to make things happen which it's so hard because we're trying to make our impact we want to make a difference we're driven for that uh but in doing so yeah we can over control or over push or over you know and and really yeah it's in those quieter times it's funny i have a uh I actually have a waterproof uh, notepad and pencil that I found nice. <laughs> in my shower. Uh, and uh, also I am definitely prone, you know, especially if I'm working on something creative, I find that about three or four in the morning tends to be my time that I wake up with these ideas. And so I email them to myself because, you know, if mm -hmm. you tell yourself you're going to remember one, you likely won't. <laughs> Two, you're going to stay awake trying to mull it over in your brain too much to, yep. to make sure you remember. So, um, yeah, I love that. And or, or just walking in the quiet, uh, mm -hmm. walking in nature, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, let, I love that thought, though. I hadn't um, really connected it that it's kind of the behind the scenes thinking that is uh, working creatively versus that kind of front of our brain pushing and trying so hard to come up with solutions. Yeah, like when you're doing that, often you end up with conventional ideas because your brain is our brains are really um, pattern machines. They look for patterns. And sometimes the pattern isn't that obvious. Sometimes you need to take a step back and take a deeper look. And sometimes you have to do that by just turning off part of your brain. And, that, and so that's, I think, why downtime is so critical uh, when you're dealing with, um, you know, uh, creativity and, and problem solving. It's really critical to find that way to do that. But during the pandemic, I, I found fly fishing. 
to to be one way to do that you really have to be focusing on the water and focusing on what bugs are in the air and um you know i'm not typically an outdoorsy person so like literally how to throw the line and i've had more good ideas about crunam while on the water than i have uh you know, grinding away at my desk. And so sometimes you just need to do that. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, I feel like creative problem solving has kind of taken a step back lately. (laughs) And I really, uh, yeah, I, I find in so many instances, I'm really working with clients to encourage them to creatively problem solve and look at, you know, that old saying to the, you know, can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, That applies so often to the challenges that they're seeing, you know, they're experiencing because they look at each challenge as a brand new thing. Oh, let's fix that. Oh, let's fix that. And they don't realize like, wow, you've fixed the same problem like three times a week for the last eight months. <laughs> Can mm-hmm. we like look to solve it ongoing instead? Uh, and then they want to be so locked into their current process and defend like, no, we do things really, really efficiently. Hmm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I love, um, yeah. So we encourage downtime, rejuvenation, aggressive relaxation. <laughs> So uh, tell me, Chris, what words of wisdom do you have for others who maybe they're just getting started to make their own impact? It's just that little niggling feeling at this point. What do you, what would you tell them? Um, that you can make an impact even if it doesn't look like you're making an impact. And I think that that was something I had to learn as I was in my quote unquote conventional career. Um, I, I think I... I was very restless in my career because I wanted to find something that fit. But what I found is that I could really uh, have an impact even within the organization that I was with, whether that was uh, mentoring young employees or pushing the company that I was with to make the right choices um, and, and make the world I was in a better place. I think too often we try to create this artificial separation of well that person's doing good and that person is having a career and those are two different things or this person you know the i think the 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 clearest definition of that is well i'm in a for-profit and you're in a non-profit and those are two different worlds and one of the things we're doing with crunam is we're a public benefit corporation so we are a blend of uh we, we literally have a fiduciary responsibility in our charter to not only make money for um the owners and the and the, the shareholders but also to make an impact on the world and in, in fighting csam and so um, I think too often we try to make that a black and white thing that you're either doing it or you're not. And um, I think that as a result, we've weakened uh, the impact of uh, everyday companies and we've weakened the impact of um, of the nonprofit world because uh, we, own, we, we think it's distinct and impact can happen in so many different ways. Um, and so, you know, I'm as proud of the, you know, dozens of people that I mentored uh, in my kind of advertising career. Um, I'm as proud of the impact there because I know their lives are fundamentally different uh, as I am at the impact we're doing at Krunam. It's obviously on a different scale and it's it's um, impacting people in a different way. But I know that there is impact there. Um, and uh, I think that that's, I think we're often too hard on ourselves when we're trying to make impact. I'm lucky right now that I, I'm, I have a situation where I can really scale my skills to do that, but not, not everybody gets that. Um, I, I got lucky. Uh, not everybody gets that opportunity. So make the impact in the world you're in. 
Um, I think that's really critical. Uh, I was uh, jotting down notes while you were talking because everything you just said uh, took me down a couple of really important paths. And one is, uh, yeah, so often we minimize the impact that we are making and it could be very small. It could just be a seed that we're planting. It could end up with a ripple effect. I mean, we never know the full impact of even just one conversation. So uh, it is so hard if we start comparing ourselves to others and deciding like, oh, they're doing so much more, uh, you know, or that person is so much more successful than I am. And we use these measures and markers to compare, but there really is, uh, no way of uh of you know knowing for sure the mm -hmm. amount of impact we have again even if it's one conversation with one person you know they might share wisdom or they might go on to do other things and so so no impact is small everything um uh is opportunity so keep going and you know and stop the comparisons and the other mm -hmm. thing is i wanted to point out that what you're describing in the u.s we call social enterprise and i was just having a really great conversation with someone yesterday while i was horseback riding out in nature uh about social enterprise because i too love of that blend, um, you know, for profit. And uh, we were actually, I mean, we could go down a whole nother rabbit hole here of exactly. like capitalism and the absence of valuing uh, human life and our planet, uh, where our only measure is dollars, uh, you mm -hmm. know, becomes problematic. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and for the, in the for the not for profit world, uh, definitely impact and outcomes are important, but they can't have investors they're only looking for donors um, and of course those donors are wanting outputs but they end up competing a lot and uh but i love the blend of that of looking comprehensively at uh you know and just really shifting the definition of success for an organization where it's you know there is a bit of profit uh, or maybe a lot of profit, but you get to have profit and impact and you're looking at it holistically. Yeah, we're actually part of a suite of companies um, that uh, are coming out of uh, our partner, Just Business. Uh, it's a impact incubator out of the Bay Area. And uh, they really started because they were running a nonprofit and realized they were spending 70% of their time raising money and 30% of their time doing uh, doing the actual work. And so they're like, the, and they were getting pushed off mission because mm -hmm. when you talk to a big foundation or something like that, you kind of have to right. craft your pitch to what the, what the money wants. Um, and so they went and said, we're, you know, we're going to start a company. Um, and, and they like to say that it's a company looking, uh, it's a cause looking for a company versus the other way around. And so their very first one was actually, if you ever um, are in Whole Foods, is Rebel Drinks, R-E-B-B-L. Um, and it's now the fastest growing natural drink company in the U.S., in the history of the U.S., and is uh, on, you know, on sale all around the country. Uh, and it, it and uh, you know, now a suite of nine different companies are funding the nonprofit. The idea was um, you can have, and this is kind of, even before B Corp, they kind of started this. And so now then they moved to B Corp and now we're, now we're literally incorporated as a public benefit corporation. That, that move towards that blended model is such a powerful thing because you can attract um, top talent and you know great people that are in the nonprofit space can actually get compensated properly for their skills. Um, all of these things kind of 
um, uh, take away some of the tension that was getting in the way of making a positive impact. And so it's a super exciting new model. Um, the other the other thing you kind of talked about was, um, and now I've lost it. Comprehensively mm-hmm. defining success? No. No. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, yes, I agree with that. <laughs> but that but, wasn't uh, the path. Oh, the ripple effect. Path. Oh, boy. No. Oh, well. It'll I'm, come to you. It'll, it'll come, come to, to me you. eventually. Well, and then I had we'll maybe to throw out to there a good friend of mine that I've known since high school, uh, since around this topic of social enterprise. Uh, she comes out of the traditional, uh, you know, investment world and, you know, where there is reporting for that. And again, you know, net profits are the measure and uh, Jean Grass Global now helps run reports for social enterprises where Mm. investors can now see the kinds of reporting that they expect in traditional investing, but that it also incorporates uh, the impact. So uh, yeah, she's very knowledgeable and uh, has been in the space for a long time and has done some really exciting work. Well, that's really great. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, we kind of went down a path I didn't anticipate, but it is so uh, timely. Again, I was just having this amazing conversation and just talking about how exciting it is to have that blend. I'll never forget years ago, uh, there was a building that had a lot of different nonprofits and they asked me to come in and do a training uh, for them. And I brought them together. And again, nonprofits working in the same building, uh, most of them had never met and they had never shared their goals. And I taught them about networking and collaborating and what an important skill that comes from the business world that non, but again, there's so much competition for those resources and they're spending so much time, you know, looking for the funding and the dollars and all of that, that they were missing the opportunity to, you know, and they had absolutely collaborative services, you know, or complimentary services. Mm -hmm. So should have known one another, should have been (laughs) recommending one another Uh, and we're in the same space. So yes, I love social enterprise and the opportunity that, that it's providing. And uh, I've actually had the benefit of working with a great foundation locally that is doing a lot of impact investing and just increase their local impact investing um, portfolio. And they're in the process of uh, making a new hire that I'll get to help with. So oh, yeah, nice. super fun, super fun. Um, and I always say, thank you so much for doing this work and letting me be a small part because then that's <laughs> the way I get to make my impact. <laughs> That's so, um, yeah. So Chris, thanks so much for sharing. Um, and thank you for the important work that you're doing. I certainly hope that you can get, uh, your technology to more and more organizations. You absolutely need it. Um, any last parting words? Uh, well, I, I will say that if you, um, there, there's a couple things I, I'd like to talk about. One is, you know, uh, don't forget to talk to your political leaders uh, your, uh, when you are working at, uh, on technology platforms. Make your voice be heard that, you know, keeping kids safe uh, is critical and, and, and doing that is right. Uh, so there's that. Just be, be an be a, uh, advocate. advocate there. <laughs> and uh, But I think the other thing is I think we're in an interesting spot in the world where we're talking a lot about online privacy and we're talking a lot about online protection. And so I, I, I just want to say, have a nuanced view of privacy. You know, I think too often we think, well, and we've been abused by some, uh, some companies that have created kind of a surveillance capitalism of selling all of our, our motion on 
um, motions on uh, online. And so there's been this move, particularly among uh, well-to-do people to have um, privacy be a really cr a big, uh, a, an absolute privacy online be really important. But when companies like Apple um, start um, scanning their um, scanning their devices for CSAM or when you hear about or um, even law enforcement doing minor uh, things to uh, scan uh, scan devices in the internet, don't be a f realize that this is a, a balance of competing goods uh, of uh, of privacy and surveillance and we definitely can't go down the full surveillance path of things. That's just a problem, you know, obviously, you know, we've seen the problem of having too much surveillance, but also, but we also can't go down the path of, of complete privacy because that's where predator, child predators, that's where cr online um, criminals, they're going to thrive in that environment. And so, you know, I think one of the big social challenges for us as a, as a society is really having a nuanced view of privacy versus security online. And the only way we're going to have a healthy and robust conversation and connections online is if we find the balance between those two. Um, and so I just say that the next time that you're freaking out about some kind of survey, some kind of scanning or you're free or you're thinking, oh, I might go end to end, full end to end encryption. Recognize that there are real costs to um, full um, privacy that uh, that unfortunately children and the weakest among us are going to pay. And uh, so just have a nuanced view of that conversation. Thank you. Um, and we need nuanced views on so many topics exactly. today exactly. <laughs> because humans are way more complex than black and white would suggest. Exactly. And, uh, but our brains are also have such a capacity for creative problem solving if we allow it. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris, so much. And again, uh, you can find all the information and links uh, to Chris and Krunam by going to today's episode show notes. Uh, go to defeatthedrama.com, click on the podcast tab, and go to episode 223. And again, thank you, Chris, so much for all the amazing work that you're doing. And I wish you much success. Uh, we need we need your technology in the hands of Benny. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, giving me this platform to talk about Grunam. And um, good luck with everything you're doing. You're doing good work. Thank you.